2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. He makes many very upsetting statements in his Sermon on the Mount, and here he does it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice that the key to eternal life is doing the will of the Father in heaven. Well, it was March of 1988. I'd been in the ministry for about five years. I was uh, the pastor in Carberry, Manitoba, when there was still a church there. I was a pastor of Trish Paul's mom and dad and aunts, and uh, it was a very special time. But I'll never forget the morning, uh, Sunday morning, when I found out some very sad news. Some of you will recognize this man. His name is uh, Jimmy Swagger. It was on that Sunday morning, this high-profile Pentecostal TV evangelist had been caught with a prostitute. Uh, I, I can remember, like, but remember it like it was yesterday, the, the, the absolute uh, uh, pit in my stomach, the absolute sadness and sorrow. At his height, at the height of his ministry, he was ministering to uh, through about 3,000 stations and cable systems each week. And he, his budget was well over $200 million every year. I had listened to his sermons on cassettes, being inspired and learning how to preach in a way that was, uh, that was anointed or inspired. And uh, Jimmy Swagger, whenever he gave an altar call, there were always hundreds and even thousands who would come and listen or come and hear the gospel, come and receive Christ. But here it is, March 1988, and uh, we get this, this very sad message that, that Jimmy Swagger has fallen. My first question was, how on earth could this be? How could this happen to this man who seemed to be doing such great things? In fact, if I remember correctly, it was just, um, it was just months before that uh, he was speaking to the Canadian Pentecostals at a conference, and this all then came out shortly after. How could, how could this man, who saw such amazing things happen through his ministry, who had such a, a massive following, who was literally being broadcast around the world, he was doing uh, uh, crusades around the world, how could this happen to this man? And I thought, man, if Jimmy Swagger could fall, then any one of us could, could fall. How could a man with, with so much fruit from his ministry be in such a terrible spiritual state? Well, Jesus knows the hearts of humans better than humans 
know their heart. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everybody who claims to have a relationship with God. Not everyone who, who finds it very easy to call out to the Lord and to, and to use the name of the Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. This, this is pretty much the, one of the most shocking verses. I, I think last week's uh, verses were very shocking and this follows in. In fact, I find the last part of Matthew chapter seven to be some of the most shocking and sobering verses in all the Bible because it tells us that we cannot take for granted this Christian life that we say that we have. I have learned over the years that not everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian is in fact a Christian. Not everybody who goes to church every Sunday has actually put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a sobering thought because a lot of people go to church and they really believe, yeah, I'm in, I, I was baptized, I take communion, um, I, I give some money to the work of God, I, I attend. It's very important that we listen to the words of Christ and be sure of our salvation, that we're sure of whether or not we are indeed converted. Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want, to, uh, I want us to think about this for a moment. Just because you are spiritually active or, or believe you're spiritually active does not necessarily mean that you are obedient. The rest of this passage goes like this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, people have always confused spiritual activity and spiritual power for God's approval. If I'm casting out demons, well, that must be proof that, that God is working in me and through me. But Jesus tells us that that is not necessarily the case. Just because you think you're prophesying in Jesus' name and casting out Jesus' Uh, casting out demons in Jesus' name and doing mighty works in Jesus' name does not necessarily mean that you are, in fact, a member of the kingdom of God. This is a sobering thing, especially for those of us who are Pentecostals or who grew up Pentecostal because we grew up being very familiar with this sort of thing and being very comfortable uh, on some level with the idea of prophesying or casting out demons and doing mighty works in God's name. This is truly a wake-up call. This is truly uh, verses to sober us in our thinking and our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. In Acts 8, there's a brand new convert. His name was Simon. Some of you will know the story. But Simon has heard the gospel, and in chapter 8 of Acts, it seems that he has indeed been converted. But then he, uh, this, this man, Simon, who was a sorcerer, 
before he was converted, he saw that the apostles were laying hands on people and that when they laid their hands on these people, they began to speak in tongues. Well, Simon, who had just come out of sorcery, looked at that and he thought to himself, man, I want that ability. I want to have that kind of, of power where I lay hands on people and they can start speaking in in other languages. And so this is what he said, believe it or not. He actually was willing to to pay. He asked the apostles if he could pay them for the ability to do that. Now, the apostles' reaction to that was quite severe. And in fact, it scared the daylights out of poor Simon. He recognized that what he'd asked for was something that bordered on blasphemy, if in fact it it wasn't blasphemy at all. It, it probably was. He thought that he could get this special power and he would be able to do these mighty works in the name of Jesus. Well, understand this today, that just because a person seems to be doing mighty works and seems to be prophesying and seems to be casting out demons, this is not the evidence or the proof that this person is, in fact, a follower of Jesus Christ. These, these are not the criterion, prophesying, casting out demons, doing mighty works. This is not the criterion. This is not the thing that proves that you are, in fact, a Christian. Further on in the book of Acts, we come to Acts 19, and we find the seven sons of Sceva. These were Jewish exorcists that used to travel from town to town to cast out demons out of people. And they saw the great power of the apostle Paul as he cast out devils in Jesus' name. And the seven sons of Sceva, they thought, well, in the name of Jesus, we can cast out demons. And so they tried to do that very thing. They tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. But the evil spirit, when these seven sons, these Jewish sons of Sceva, when they tried to cast out the devil in Jesus' name, the devil said, I know Jesus and I know Paul but who are you? And then Acts 19 tells us that this demon-possessed man attacked these seven sons, beat them up mercilessly, and actually stripped them of their clothes. It says they ran naked into the street, terrified. Now, I'm telling you all of this to help you understand some, uh, something that is critical to our understanding especially if you're from a Pentecostal background or a Pentecostal upbringing. Signs and wonders and prophecies and casting out demons is not the proof of anything. It's critical that you understand that. Because when you stand before Jesus someday, he's not gonna ask you, did you cast out demons in my name? Did you prophesy in my name? Did you do mighty works in my name. What he's going to ask is, did you obey your father in heaven? Think about that. Because this is what it means to be a Christian. This is the bottom line. Now we are living in in a day um, when, when, when ecstatic experiences in churches it seems to be the thing that everybody is looking for. 
And it's not just Pentecostals now. It's, it's, it's virtually everywhere in every denomination that is looking for this. There are some people who really believe that the more spiritual activity they engage in, in, in a service or in their home or in their private time, the better. But what we have to do is we have to determine or define what spiritual activity is. If you think that just having an ecstatic experience where you are weeping perhaps or where you, uh, where you feel, you know, I've heard people talk about getting, getting chills or uh, feeling that they were having a vision. I hear that a lot nowadays and never used to hear it as much, but we're hearing it a lot now. Um, they believe that they're somehow connecting to God. When I asked one, one person, one young guy in the ministry, uh, about how he makes disciples. He says, this is what I do, is I simply teach people to do this. And, and, and by doing this, it's a funnel where the, where the Lord just pours into a person's life and they're transformed. Well, that's not biblical, is it? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a cute idea. It seems, to, it seems right, but it's not biblical. It's not the commission that Jesus gave us to go into the world and what? To preach and to teach people to do what? To obey everything Jesus commanded. This is what it means to make disciples. I don't care how much you froth at the mouth, how much you weep, how much you, you, you bark like a dog or, or whatever, you, whatever your spiritual ecstasy is, I could care less about that. And quite frankly, Jesus is saying exactly the same thing here. He doesn't care about that. What he cares about is what we just read in verse 21. It's the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven that will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to ask you now the question, are you doing the will of the Father? Over the years, I have seen and I have, I've known many, many people who have been very active spiritually. I've known people who have spoken in tongues who today are not even serving the Lord. I know of people who were, uh, who were ordained at the same time as I was, uh, or close to the same time as I was, ordained into the ministry, who are not even serving the Lord today. I know people that, uh, a guy went to Bible college, he, he married his wife and, uh, and had a family and had a, 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 a true Pentecostal ministry. He was doing all the things that Pentecostals do and yet it wasn't long after he was married and had children that he actually left his family to be with his, with, with his boyfriend. I have uh, on my desktop, on my laptop, on my computer, I have, I have put together a file, pictures of all the ministers, all the men in the ministry who have fallen, prominent pastors and leaders who have had uh, spectacular f- falls. These men were very gifted, very, very gifted speakers. And somebody that most of us will know Ravi Zacharias, this is just recent sad news, a great defender of the faith, an apologist. He uh, died uh, maybe a year ago, but since he's died, it has come out that he, he actually molested a number of different women. And yet, anybody would say he's one of the, the best Christians of our day. 
look it. If there's anything that I've learned over all these years, and it's something that my friend Bruce Powell told me, and it echoes in my ears constantly, never trust your flesh. Never trust yourself. Never believe that you have got it all together and you can, you can make it on your own. No. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what matters, as we see here in verse 21, what matters is that you and I are found obedient to Christ, that you and I are doing the will of the Father. So the question is this. What is the will of God? Now, it may, uh, it, it may include all those things that we talked about, the prophesying, the casting out of demons, and the, and the mighty works. It, that, that might be part of it, but that's not the main thing. What is the main thing for your life? What is, God, what is God's will for your life right here and right now? We read in Hebrews 11, verse 2, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the very first thing that is God's will for your life is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus tells us in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, he, that whosoever believes or whosoever has faith in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is what Jesus is calling us to. If we're gonna do the will of the Father, the very first thing we need to do is to put our faith in Christ. Now, the reason that these great men like Ravi Zacharias and Jimmy Swaggart and others have fallen is because at some point along the line, they put their faith in themselves, in their own ability, in their skills, in their, te- in their, in their brains, and their great talents. Jimmy Swaggart was a, was a gifted speaker and is a gifted speaker. Jimmy Swaggart was a, a beautiful voice and how many dozens of records he's produced over the years. Ravi Zacharias wrote, I don't know how many books, but it's very easy for you and I to put confidence or to put our faith in ourselves, in our own ability. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. And yet Jesus said about the Pharisees that they were just a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. Rather than putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they put their faith in themselves. And they indeed became a very hateful and spiteful group who eventually managed to have Jesus put to death. Jesus called them snakes even though they were flawless when it came to the law of God. They kept the law flawlessly. But Jesus says something very interesting to us, and you may remember this. We we studied this when, we read this when we were studying in Matthew chapter five. Matthew five, verse 20, Jesus says, our righteousness must exceed or be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, when Jesus said that, I'm sure that his listeners would have been scratching their head trying to figure out how on earth could that even be possible? Because these Pharisees were full-time law keepers. That's what they did for a living. 
They, they, they knew the law, they, they taught the law, and they lived out the law, and yet Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed their righteousness. It's got to be better. Well, the only way that that can happen is if you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, who is perfect. We don't trust ourselves. We put our trust, our faith in Christ, who is perfect. And in case you haven't learned this yet, this, this is an important doctrine of the church. We talked about the doctrine of justification where, where we are made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus. We are justified in God's sight, not because we're doing good works or being perfect. We're justified because we don't believe that we are able to be perfect. We, we understand that about ourselves. We understand that we need the righteousness of Christ. And so when you and I put our faith in Christ, instantly we are made right with God. We are justified in his sight. But it doesn't stop there. What happens after you and I are justified by putting our faith in Christ is that God begins a process of what we call sanctification, where he begins this purifying work in us, making us like his son, Jesus. Now, you want to know what God's will is for your life? God's will for your life is that you put your faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, it tells us in Romans chapter 8 that God begins to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. He begins to make us like Christ. So today, if you put your faith in yourself, you put your faith in your own righteousness, look, I'm such a good person. Look at all the good things I do. Look at the, all the money I give to missions work. Look at the, I go on missions trips. Look, look at the great things that I, I've done. Look how much money I give. You are setting yourself up for a mighty fall, my friend, which leads me to my second point. God's will for our lives is that first and foremost, we put our faith in Jesus. That's the will of the Father. The second thing that we need to understand is that we need to be men and women who walk in humility. Micah 6.8, the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, and God says, no, O people. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. This is the will of God. This is what he requires of you. To act justly or to do right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Notice that God's will for you and for me is to walk in humility. When you and I walk in humility, then we are more apt to be gracious and merciful to others. And more than that, we are more apt to, to be people who are concerned with justice, doing good, good things. Why? Because we understand that God's way is best. We understand that our way ends in catastrophe, in disaster. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it 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 ends in disaster or catastrophe. So humility is God's will for our life, to walk in humility, to be men and women of humility. Now, I hear often people will say that, that Christian people or church people 
are, are judgmental or condemning. I, I actually find quite the opposite. I find people who are not Christians to be far more judgmental and condemning. Just uh, this past week, I was listening to the news. Um, I'm not a reader of Teen Vogue, but I just heard on the news that the editor of Teen Vogue, uh, Alexi McCammond, uh, was to resign her position because she made some untoward tweets when she was just 17 years old. That was 10 years ago. She apologized profusely for being so stupid and saying such stupid things. Well, who of us, who of us is in a position where we could throw a stone at somebody else because we're perfect? There's not one of us. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery, dragged before Christ, and they're all getting ready to stone her. And Jesus says, he or she who is without sin, cast the first stone. You go ahead. If you have no sin in your life, you've never ever thought anything wicked or evil, you've never done anything wicked or evil, then you have the right to cast the first stone. Well, you know the story. It ended up nobody could cast a stone at this poor woman caught in adultery. Folks, listen to me. Until you come to Christ and understand how sinful we are, remember, Jesus outlines for us in the Sermon on the Mount of what true wickedness is. It's not just doing the act. If you think wickedly about somebody, if you, if you have hatred in your heart or speak hatefully about somebody, somebody, Jesus says that's equivalent to murder. If you think about doing something evil in a sexual manner, if you just think about it, that is the equivalent of committing adultery or fornication. No, you and I need to walk in humility before God. We need to do good and we need to love mercy. Why? Because we need mercy. Because we understand that all of us are in the same boat when it comes to to our spiritual condition. When you don't understand your own need of God's grace and mercy, it's really difficult to be gracious and merciful to others. So what is God's will for our life? Our, God's will for my life is that I put my faith in Christ, that I walk in humility before God and man, and then thirdly, that we are obedient doing the will of the Father. This is why Jesus teaches us, you learned that in Matthew chapter six, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, to pray every day. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you want a good definition of a Christian, somebody who's converted? To me, the best definition is somebody who does the will of the Father all the time. When we teach people how to be followers of Christ, we teach them the seven habits. The third habit is moment by moment holiness, where we are doing the will of the Father every time. Every decision we make, we're doing what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. That's critical that you understand this. For some people, they don't understand that that's what true Christianity is. They believe that Christianity is simply coming to church, singing songs, giving a few bucks in the offering, uh, maybe going on a missions trip, perhaps giving some money to missions. That's what, they, they, that's what people think Christianity is. 
hearing a few good sermons, maybe getting involved, serving, being an usher or being a, a teacher. My friend Bruce told me about the church that he went to when he was a young man. He said most uh, or half the, half the people in his church were not converted. And that included some board members and some Sunday school teachers. Imagine being a, a, a leader in a church and not being converted. It just boggles the mind. I mean, imagine trying to teach people in Sunday school and not being converted yourself. But it happens all the time. And it happens because we don't understand what being a Christian is. It means we're doing the will of the Father all the time. And it begins by putting your faith in Christ. And then it happens by walking in humility before God and man, not thinking great of yourself, but understanding who you fundamentally are. And fundamentally, you, before you became a Christian, are a sinner facing God's wrath, God's punishment. That is who you are. But thanks be to God, he didn't leave us to an eternal damnation. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who calls us out of this world to be his follower. And then we understand that following Christ is being obedient to Christ, doing what he says. This is why we went through the Sermon on the Mount from June of 2020 till next week of 2021, the last Sunday in March. It's a long time. But we need to be a people who understand what it means to be obedient to God, who do the will of the Father, living as Jesus called us to live in the Sermon in the Mount. Listen, it's not your supernatural experiences that are going to advance you in your faith. Some people think, if I, if I could just get to the mountaintop, if I could just spend time, if I could just get alone, if I could just be in, in a, a week of, of fasting and praying. Look at, yes, do fast, do pray. But I'm gonna tell you the thing that wins God's favor is that you do the will of the Father every time. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians. The foolish Galatians, he called them. Because these foolish Galatians decided that they weren't gonna put their faith in Christ. They were gonna put their faith in themselves and their own ability to keep the law. That's right, they'd, they'd turned away from faith in Christ alone to a righteousness that was based on doing good works. And Paul says, who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians. And I would say the same thing to you. Who's bewitched you? Who's drawn you away from authentic Christianity that understands that doing the will of God every time is exactly what it means to be a Christian? Oh, we need to be a people that pray every day. God, give me the grace to obey you this day. And this, my friends, is what is gonna find God's favor. Paul says to those Galatians in Galatians 1.10, if, if I was still trying to please people, I would no longer be a servant of God. But as it is, I am committed. My whole being is committed to doing God's will and God's will alone. What about you? What are you committed to? Is this, does this burn in your heart? 
from the moment you wake up in the morning to the time that you go to bed at night, doing the will of the Father. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who is free and easy with that term, Lord, the Lord this, and the Lord told me that, and the Lord said that, and, and I love the Lord, and I love to sing about the Lord, I love to hear about the Lord, I love to talk about the Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be a wonderful actor. Most of us are. It's just another way of saying we're hypocrites. It's for this reason we don't put our faith in our own ability. It's for this reason we walk in humility before God and man because we know what kind of sin we're each, of, each and every one of us is capable of. And it's for this reason we walk in obedience to the king. You cannot call him Lord if you're not prepared to do what he says. Anybody can call God Lord, but only somebody who has surrendered or submitted to the Lord can say that God really is their Lord. For many of us, we know Jesus as Savior, but we don't know him as Lord. And it's critical that you and I do the will of the Father, it begins, put your faith in Christ, begin to walk in humility before God and man. Don't think highly of yourself. Jesus said, no one's good except God. And with, with all your heart, you need to pray, Father, give me the grace to be an obedient man or woman. When Gloria and I were in France in 2019, we were uh, just a few miles away from Mont Saint-Michel and we, uh, we turned on our TV in our hotel room and we were shocked to see the Sun uh, Broadcasting Network. I think it's called SBN, something like that, or STN. And lo and behold, it's Jimmy Swaggart, an old man now but preaching on TV still and around the world. And uh, this is Jimmy Swaggart now. He's white-haired, much older, and I, I was amazed listening to him preach. He was actually preaching the gospel. He was preaching a message that any one of us at Cross Church would feel very comfortable with. But Jimmy Swaggart repented. He turned away from his sinful life and he asked God to forgive him his sin. Now I know some of you will find this very difficult to believe. You'll find it difficult to accept that, that God would forgive an old sinner like Jimmy Swaggart. But here's the thing, if God can forgive you your sin, God can forgive Jimmy Swaggart his sin. And even more than that, God can still use somebody like Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart does not pretend to be something greater than he is. Rather, he understands his great need of God. There's somebody very close to me who never misses a Jimmy Swaggart broadcast 
And you know what he said? This friend of mine, he said that he loves Jimmy Swaggart because he's been through the same thing that Jimmy Swaggart's been through. And if God could love Jimmy Swaggart and use Jimmy Swaggart, that means that God could use him as well. And I want to tell you something today. If God could love Jimmy Swaggart and continue to use Jimmy Swaggart, God could continue to love you and use you. But it takes humility and a willingness to say, Lord, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, O oh God, it's me. I'm the one that needs your grace. I'm the one who needs your mercy. God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Let me just share with you this passage from Joel. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. This morning, I wanna leave this with you. You may have failed God. You may have fallen short. You may have lost your way. You may have put your faith in yourself and your own ability to be a godly person and you recognize now that you have fallen far, far short of the mark. You have failed God. You have done things you shouldn't do. You have... You've seen things you shouldn't see. You've said things you shouldn't say. But the good news is this, is that after the Lord disciplines us, he restores us. And he gives us all that we need. He does these miracles for you. He does these miracles for me because he loves us. So this morning, my prayer for you is that you will stop trusting in ecstatic spiritual experiences and understand that you need to do the will of the Father. And it begins by putting your faith in Christ. And it ends in obedience, doing what Jesus teaches us to do. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your love for us. God, we confess to you today that we are sinners in need of your grace. We thank you that in Christ we are a new creation. In Christ we have your favor, we have your mercy, we have your grace and your love. Father, thank you that even now you are working in our lives to make us like Jesus. You're using good times and yes, even the difficult times. God, you even use swarming locusts to shape us and to cause us to walk in obedience after you. Thank you, Father, for showing us clearly what it means to be a Christian. And give us the grace, we pray, to live as you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. God bless you. Amen.